million dollars doesn't buy me a ride back to town. Que vale traje, compa. You want your suit? Give it to him. You want my suit? I didn't even wear a suit till I was 38. Welcome to True Detective Weekly on the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sean Vanneman. And I'm Jake Rodkin. This week, we are discussing the eighth and final episode of True Detective Season 2, Omega Station. This episode was written, as always, by Nick Pizzolatto and directed this time by John Crowley, who directed the fifth episode of the season. Yeah. My favorite episode. No, I don't actually. I can't. I them. love all my episodes the same. Uh, <laughs> so, I guess impressions. Yeah. Chris, um, how did you feel as a capstone on this season? Well, it was... Uh, unexpected i have to say um maybe that shouldn't have been true but i didn't expect it to be as totally bleak and brutal as it was um although i think that given what this season was in all i i feel like i i basically appreciate that i certainly respect it um man it was hard to watch did you find it to be ultimately satisfying as an ending i mean that's a tough question because there's like satisfying in my gut and the answer is no, because everyone gets, I mean, it's like, it's so bleak. I mean, I guess there, there's, there's, there is some hope in terms of like the two women at the end sort of starting to build a life and like get the story out and so on. But man, it was just as the things were happening, I was so low, you know, at, like the, the thing that sums up my, <laughs> lowness watching this was you know ray bleeding out while the his like note to his son fails to upload and it's like we're just gonna make sure to drive home how completely just desolate mm -hmm. the fabric of this man's like life and legacy is by just zooming in on the just his inability to even send his son on how Ray couldn't even update to iOS 7. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah. I was just going to... I wrote a note down that was like, oh, I see he did not update his uh, iPhone. Yeah. That's in character. It is. I, I can see a, like... That's what... The, the, honestly, hold on. Nobody does human stuff in this season. And I sort of really, like... it really came to a head... I'm making a point here, but seriously, sure. about, this, about the episode. It came to, like, into sharp relief or focus for me in this episode when people started doing things that didn't make any sense to me like i don't know why ray drove into the redwoods i don't know why that was what he decided to do i don't know why when he went to see his son and then found a tracker on his car he got in the car why don't people do really natural human things in this show why did he drive into the redwoods does anybody have any thoughts about that I mean, he's trying Even to lose them, I guess. Thematically? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the, the whole time that he was driving into the Redwoods, I was wondering if there was another angle. Like, if the place that he was driving to was, like, one of the wooded locations that was actually involved in the case. Or, like, if he was attempting to lead them somewhere or escape I mean, to a place that he knew about. But instead, he it just was kind of well, he knew, the bleakest place to go, it seems like. But well, he knew, I mean, uh, maybe I'm, like, just not 
thinking it enough, but like he makes it pretty clear. He knows he's not getting out of it. So it doesn't actually matter where he goes. Like he goes to a dense place so he can get cover and try and take those guys out maybe, but he basically knows he's going to die and he just wants to get this thing off to his side. I don't know. I, I, to, I, it, it didn't seem like something that needed a lot of like puzzling to me, but maybe, maybe I'm it not just, thinking it through enough. It just, it felt arbitrary in a way that I had a hard time with. Well, I was wondering yeah. why he went out there and then I just said, I guess he's going out there because it's, because it's dramatic and he's getting away from well, stuff. The and then, thing. and then I let, and then I let it go because well, whatever you have to, I feel like to watch the show, you know, you watch him maybe have some hope that he's going to get out. He, he shoots a few guys in the head in the most disgusting looking way possible. <laughs> and then you see a sad iOS six screen of his voicemail. Yeah, <laughs> it, was fine, it was fine. Um, what did you think of the, of it ultimately satisfying or I'm probably in about the same place as Chris, where just like, you know, it was bleak as fuck. Um, and I, but I was glad that it went that way because it felt like this entire season was just about these guys going up against something so just so much bigger than them and immobile that they were going to end up wrecking themselves against that, the cliff face of it. So seeing everyone just go down over the course of this season, I was glad they went that way. Cause it feels like the other way that you could go with this it is somewhere like the first season of True Detective where they walk out of it just going, I guess everything's inscrutable and, you know, you can't do much or whatever. You know, it's not mm-hmm. literally where True Detective 1 ends, but kind of that, like, we touched the unknowably large thing and we'll now just walk away. We'll now just walk away and disappear. Whereas this yeah. one was, we we went up against it and just flamed out and everyone is dead. And I'm I was glad that that was the way that it went because these characters are just so much less functional and more self-destructive even than, than the, the characters of the first season. And what? just they're yeah. up against something even like, <clears throat> more aggressive and more repellent, I feel, than, than yeah. it. Something more explicitly institutional. Yeah. Why do you think it ends, the like, the very end, it feels like, maybe I'm reading this wrong. With but the it feels baby like, and Annie yeah, and the journalist yeah, and stuff? Yeah, it feels like Annie relays the entire story to the LA Times. And, which, is that the same guy that Ray beat up i was wondering about i was was, (laughs) popped into my head and i wasn't sure yeah she relays the whole story to him and i guess that's um that's ray's baby right yeah yeah i think we're meant to yeah we're meant to believe that that's ray's baby and the way the women raise second the child oh and it was was it confirmed that chad was his kid yep oh yeah 99.9 percent oh i didn't know if that was I didn't know who the fa- I didn't know if that oh, was, was right. I didn't know if they were yeah. testing against the rapist or if they were testing no, yeah, against that was, Ray. It said Ray Velcoro, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always thought it was the 99.9, and right. then it moved on, and I didn't hit rewind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Ray. At least yeah. he's got a legacy. Yeah. <laughs> These two kids. Uh, so they relay the story to the LA Times guy. We see the baby. And then Annie, Annie says something about their like intention like whatever they're about to do next and it feels like they're about to take some sort of action and they leave the hotel room i can't remember exactly what she says but it feels like they're gonna come out of the shadows and like tackle this thing again and sort of she said it's like she's the guy was like i could go to the go to the times we could take this you know and she's like it's your story now and i got Mm -hmm. the opposite sense i got the sense that she's like i've i have handed this off to you, I have like done yeah, more she, than she more disengages than what could have been aggressively because she yeah. says, "I thought she that. says stay here, don't and 
for an hour, you know, and until I'm gone for an hour. So it's like you have to let me make a completely anonymous, mm-hmm. clean break from this, and just I'm going to disappear into Venezuela. Unless there was a thing where she was like, I, that that was my my takeaway was, as well. But maybe yeah, I missed yeah, one line. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help the readers or the listeners, but I'll, I'm going to watch the very end after this again. Um, yeah, it felt. Do you feel? How did you feel about that? As a sort of juxtaposition against how dark the ending was, and it felt like that was. Rel- Whenever there's a baby in the end of an episode, the end yeah. of something, it feels like that's the Impl- implicit implied hope, yeah. hope in future. Sarah had an interesting take on it, which is that the just across the two seasons of this show so far, so 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 much of True Detective, thematically and just like literally in plot, is about kind of gender norms and the destructive kind of masculinity and um, like expectations of max- masculinity and like the sort of fallout of, of that. And um, she thought it was really interesting that, that the characters who are sort of allowed that glimmer of hope at the end were these two women and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, sort of suggesting that like th- that is, that is the, there, there is some, um, like hope or uh, progress in like trying to shed this just like domineering sort of patriarchal like um, toxicity that infuses so much of the the world that that these shows take place in. Um, and I think there's I think there's something to that. That is such a healthy read because my read on the end was I guess maybe more pessimistic, but it was. Well, even though all those men sacrificed themselves, they were able to save their women and baby, and their story can be told. Like that was that was <laughs> yeah. I kinda, that was, that I was how I read that. Where it's I, like I saw it as kind of both like ways. Frank, Frank and Ray died, but they got those women out and safe. Good work. And like you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of I, I, that's I, a very rosy, like I don't know. That's I mean, we're yeah. <laughs> I did see it. I, I saw it a little. I could see both I mean, sides of the coin. Frank's for sure. dying vision is his wife being like, "We did it." Well, I did. You know, I mean, yeah. like, I don't know. That's true, but I it's also you, honey. Yeah. it's also his just like terrible father who you know, like so much of so much of this season is about like fathers just fucking up everything. Like that's whole that's Frank's whole origin story that puts him on this completely self destructive course is a, a terrible, like unloving, destructive father. Um, Ray is, has this like just disaster of a relationship with his kid. Paul sort of tries to force himself into fatherhood in the most irresponsible way. Um, you know, Annie has this weird relationship with her father, which I guess ends up being fine, sort of. Um, on balance, on balance, yeah. fine, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but I guess I guess you're right in this. I mean, I, I guess I see what you mean in the sense that. That of the dead characters, Frank was the one who used who like kind of emotionally has his head held high. Well, it's at also the end, just, I suppose. But it kind of felt Frank, a little patronizing. Frank, Frank and Ray just yeah. push these really strong women away and say, "This is not your fight. I'm going to sacrifice myself for you." And they're just not allowed to have any agency over the proceedings. I mean, they take agency yeah. at the end, but it's just with the scraps that are left with, literally, and yeah. that that like. And I'm not saying that to, to, well, to like to try to argue that Sarah is incorrect because I think her read is also entirely. I guess on it depends point. whether you think that that's the show saying this is like. I guess it depends whether you read that into the voice of the show or into like the flawed intentions of the characters. You know what I mean? 
like is is it the show being like these men sacrificed their lives so that these women could live on or is it like these these guys created a hell of their own design and are burning in it i don't know, you know I, mean? I mean uh yeah that's really tough me. it's tough to know which whose voice is where <sighs> i think i thought about this a lot because i mean on if i'm really honest with my self and my opinions i lean a little bit towards jake's mm-hmm. side in terms that, of what you think pizzolato is communicating yeah and then i think it is a little patronizing mm-hmm. in terms of, and i think about i shouldn't bring i shouldn't like use the portrayals of characters in season one to justify my argument in season two i know well, that's bad I rhetoric i mean but in season one to use your words chris like rust is this sort of almost how do you you describe him as sort of like a you can't remember <laughs> righteous and oh, sure. knows everything makes yeah. the right decision right, yeah. even though he's an eclectic weirdo yeah like he is protagonist like man to a fault yeah like he's, he's protagonist yeah. man yeah. even though he has flaws mm-hmm. and his, fa- and, and, yeah, his flaws are even shot as like noble right flaws, in, you know? yeah in, in the job interview like what are your flaws like i'm too right about exactly things. yeah right. <laughs> yeah so looking at that portrayal of masculinity in season one when i look at season two the annie that i saw get on the boat just wasn't the annie that i felt popped up in the season at times it felt very passive it felt very submissive it felt yeah, I, I, I can see that. Yeah, like she was now being like Ray was going to take care of her in a way that didn't feel like they were on the same plane of power, which kind of which was so strange because I felt like the show took strides to put them to have them uh, see eye to eye and not have one be like more powerful, more powerful than the other. And if they were more powerful than the other, then it was Annie kind of like bringing him up Um in terms of last episode saying like, you know, you're not a bad man mm-hmm. and sort of the way that bring, I, yeah. the way that I interpreted that as I was watching it, and this doesn't necessarily like this, this is not a like rebuttal to what you're saying, but well, as, be, should be. I don't think it is though. But as I was, as I was watching, I'm like, okay, well the reason this is playing out that way is because she is because Ray and Frank are going to go deal with, you know, the Russians and, and all this shit. And Annie has basically no connection. Yeah, to the, the impetus so. for a lot of this was Ray and Frank solving Frank's problems with Ray, sort of as his still indebted lackey right. or whatever. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and Annie's like, okay, she investigated Pitler, I guess, found him dead, and like, okay, she's she's wrapped up the stuff that she's capable of wrapping up, so she's going to take off. And the expectation is that Ray's going to also do the same from his standpoint, um, and like. In, in a in a plot sense, I think that actually makes sense. But but you're right that the the effect right. of like what's actually on the screen right. is 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 maybe it's not. these women just waiting in another country for their men to show up with huge sacks of money right. to make yeah. like their lives okay. Yeah. It's like although I, 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 although I think I still come away with it with a different like emotional reaction than you guys did because I do think that I don't think that it's like a bad thing to get away from this just like intractable garbage like i think that it's that being able to survive that is in itself something there's something to be said for it especially in when in annie's case like part of that was also 
trying to get the story out about this insane thing. Yeah, no, hearing hearing your and Sarah's read on it actually makes me like the ending more than I than I did, I think, going uh, after watching it, but Yeah, I mean, when I hear yeah, when I he- hear your interpretation of it, this might sound a little out of left field, but my reaction to it is it just makes me wish the season was had half as much stuff in it or was twice as long. Mm-hmm. So these character motivations yeah. could have actually been explored in a way that was more uh, ultimately fulfilling would, across the board. Agree. I would agree with that. You yeah. know, um, yeah. that because I feel like the Annie you see both on the boat and at the very end, like nine months or whatever, 10 or a year later in Venezuela. Um, I thought you were going to say in Venezuelan time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nine months or a nine year. Nine months or a year in Venezuela time. Uh, <laughs> well, I was thinking of how old that infant was. She was swaddling. Mm-hmm. Um, the Annie you see in those two at the very end of the episode is so different than the Annie in the 7.75 episodes previous. And I don't know where the turning point was. Maybe it was her time with Ray or her, her telling Ray about like the way she remembers her uh, sexual assault as a child. Like that was a good scene. Um, like, I don't know kind of where the, where she had that change happen inside of her. It can, it can also just be her being finally outside of all of the things that have basically been, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. the Re- forces, apply, the forces applied the to Annie have been, when we see her at the end, have obviously been incredibly different than the ones that have been on her life since she was a kid living with her dad on that weird compound. But yeah, yeah. I, one, yeah. there was, there was something also about the, this is, I think too, too minor, maybe a moment to like, have a huge amount of significance, but when she was kind of sending off her father and her sister, um, it was in a seven, the y- previous episode. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that was or maybe episode, it was six yeah. or seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but when she was basically saying, you guys have to get out of here. Um, it definitely seemed like she was trying to put herself in a more emotionally healthy place and just not like stop carrying some of this stuff around with her. Um, in a, in as destructive a way, um, and she had one of the few like normal interactions with a parent in this whole season that anyone has, uh, which is crazy because of what of like the things it's situated inside of. Um, but I can kind of draw a line between that sort of self aware Annie and the one we see at the end of the season. Um, even though I, I I do agree with you in general that like this season maybe just had too much in it for its own good in, ter- mm-hmm. in terms of um, exploring these characters. But uh, yeah. How did you guys feel about uh, the way the actual Casper murder mystery wound up? Um, I don't know. It's so funny because it had become such a, like a, almost a sidelined component given yeah. the fact that it was the instigating element of the, the mystery. Um, Felt incredibly sidelined and quickly tied up. I liked that a lot, actually. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I, I no, might I go on. I might. Please. I. I mean, to, because because it was so sidelined and about, and the story just ended up being about not those things. I I liked it. I mean, and again, like it, this does tie into what we literally were just saying that I wish that that the show had more breathing room because I think the the reveal. That it wasn't really about the Casper mystery, but the but just about these yeah. characters and about their lives and stuff. I felt like th- I felt it was good 
that it ended the way that it did. I mean, it was still the punchy. Fact that Casper wasn't killed for any of his conspiracy-related yeah, stuff. Yeah, Casper was, was, Casper was killed because of, because of yeah. horrible familial <laughs> things that he son. did. Yeah, it's, you know, it in, in terms of... Uh, this season being about bad dads, I was glad that the Casper story uh, <laughs> ended up true. ended up about the way that it did. Um, and I also just liked that it still, we got a little bit of like, the Casper storyline for as minor as it was in this episode was also the home of true detecting in this episode. Uh, like just, that's true. It had some good sneaking around. They found that guy's house. And I liked the way that the, that Ray's play with the chief of police just, played down as a scene the way that it ended was a little bit outrageous with every single person murdering everyone else yeah. those uh, cops shooting this like shooting both of those guys i know, I know just also just blowing like, away the police oh, chief like, what is going on <laughs> maybe there's like some topical cops trigger happy shit in there i feel like i kind of feel like in this universe friendly fire is like seen as like not something necessarily to be avoided because any loose ends getting tied up for anyone are right. just going to kind of be better across the board. Like, oh, just, uh, we don't necessarily need one more guy with claim to these yeah, the, the, diamonds, et cetera, et cetera, oh, you mean et that cetera. In, oh, God. I, you mean the, that in the realm of the fiction of the yes, story? Yes. I thought you meant, like, in the writer's room, where it's like, well, how many C, how many side characters can accidentally take bullets in this scene so well, we like, can just have less? I think that's... I think, I think Chris's, that, Chris's, that also, Chris's but, point is that on both layers, both within the story of True Detective, uh, like, the, the world of true detective season two and the sort of plot and construction of true detective season two everyone thinks it's probably okay if a few players get removed uh, as frequently as possible because there are maybe too many so like like when that schlubby corrupt cop gets killed in the uh, vinci yeah in the vinci yeah. shootout like yes yeah. It's like, I don't know how many writers. I mean, I guess it's Nick, Nick Pizzolatto, but I don't know how many people who work on the show were just like, oh thank god that guy's thank gone. God. <laughs> Good. Well, he ended up being like a hugely important. Usually important in the mystery. Basically, what seems to happen is people like have an important thing to contribute to the mystery, and then just get punked. And yeah. then the other characters like pick up on that, and then they get punked. Right. Well, yeah. Just everyone's holding all of these things so tightly inside of themselves that the only way that any information ever spills out is if they're actually removed from the board. Yeah. And Chad the, is so lucky that that his dad didn't have service in the Redwoods because then he would have evidence on his phone. It would only be a moment of t- matter of time <laughs> before he caught friendly fire. Poor through. Chad salute. Oh, Any man. thoughts on Chad salute? As annoyed as I was, that, like <laughs> when Ray's driving to go see his kid, I was like, "Oh fucking I mean, cor- yeah, oh, fucking yeah. course he's going to see his kid, and it's going to be the thing that makes him." That little moment of him and his dorky friends playing a board game, but he's got the lucite wrapped mm-hmm. police badge on his t- on the table. Whatever, totally fine. Yeah, I agree. So, so that was glad that, that was, was there. Like, it's such obviously, it's so written, it's so like perfectly staged but also actually believable to me for the kid who like cannot connect with his dad at all but is still a kid and still like needs some connection to his parents will just like tote that thing around with him and probably tell other kids like how cool his dad is even if he would never even if he's like physically incapable of, now like, that his dad's name is like all over the I news know. well that was a, what was so yeah. fucking brutal right yeah. that was one of the most brutal things about this ending is that now forever this kid presumably knows his dad as like the truth weird might come out murderer yeah it, unless right unless of course the probably story won't is, is told yeah <laughs> i imagine if there was a true detective season 2.5 it would be about how those files just get mysteriously burned and that plane explodes in an acid pit or something <laughs> yeah 
I guess the last thing that we haven't really talked about is Frank and uh, his and his wife yeah. story or Frank's I guess Frank's story in general. Mm-hmm. Man, so Frank th- throughout the episode was probably the most satisfying thing for me in terms of I think about his story from the first episode to the last episode and all of his screen time in the last episode and how it all went down. I think I was ultimately like that was the most satisfying story for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this was also, I think, Vince yeah. one of Vince Vaughn's better episodes in the season. For yeah. me, for me at least, I don't know. Except for that stupid scene at the train station. I agree. Yeah, I didn't like, I didn't the train. So okay, you're right, written. man. Okay, so it was an episode <laughs> Sorry, of Vince Vaughn highs and lows, and some of yeah. that is, the, but some of that is just the fault of of the words that he was forced to say in the scenes that he was in. Because I feel like some of the lowest moments for his character were the stupid wedding ring out the window. I'm lying, but I'm acting bad. And he's and trying then, to Harry and the Hendersons is like yeah. wife his wife that he's but then, and tied all, to. And forever. also, I feel like he and his wife's final moments when he was dying, and then she's like. It's, it wasn't really his fault, but when she's like, you actually collapsed six steps ago, like, just don't say that. Don't say that line. We all know that's what happened. Yeah. Because um, his actual physical performance, where he went from dying to just sort of standing up and having a scene with her, if you're going to put that stupid see your dead wife at the last minute of your life scene in, you don't need to also then have the characters say, it's that scene where you're suddenly healthy again <laughs> right. because you found, like, we know. Um, so, like, those two scenes were just, were... I, I agree. Like I in don't know. In terms of just like the sticky notes on the wall yeah, no, of his I, arc, I, I, agree. I was I agree with that. into yeah. them. Yeah. But I, yeah. I thought I thought it was it was his his was a case where it was like very painful to see him not make it out because he was so close to making it out and could have. But but he it, doesn't but it, punch the guy, right? But I guess he punches the guy because he has a diamond. Because he has a diamonds in his in his jacket and he can't yeah. yeah. I mean like it's kind of a case where it's like what You gotta keys through those diamonds. Like, look, That's always, true. if you have three and a half million dollars of diamonds on you, put them in an orifice. Just do it. You don't know what's going to happen to those <laughs> yeah. pants or that jacket. It's, always. It's Kids at home listening yeah. to this. Diamonds. Keister those diamonds. Put them somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Oh. But I I, can't, I, I sort of like <laughs> the, the, like, sort of Greek tragedy arc of Frank in that way. Um, and so I, I agree with you on that. I, uh, I was... Not I, I was I was pretty not into the visions when they started popping up, and then I kind of came back around on them, and I'm like, oh okay. And then by the time it was just like six black guys just like making fun of him, I was like, I don't know if that needs to be your like final formative like terrible memory. Like, who are these people? Like, who are these people? Yeah, that, that I was I thought was a little bit a little. But you're okay cheap. with the bad dad. I wasn't when he first came up, and then just as it kept going on, I kind of just sort of leaned into he, it. If that makes that sense, that dad won you over. Yeah, just in, just I, I don't know for because when it when it started, it was such a cliche, and it still is, right? But I just mean like I just kind of rolled with it and just it just kept going, and I was I was totally fine with Jordan showing up as well. I guess that whole scene for me was one of like I I kept getting won over and then kind of getting snapped out by the the thing that was such a cliche that I was just like. Might be a decent encapsulation of my feelings of the entire season. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Just a sort of like tug of war. Of yeah. like, oh, I'm here. Okay, come on. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But I did. But I do agree with you that I think Frank's arc in, in in the broad strokes was kind of the the maybe the most satisfying of certainly of the men. In terms of just uh, classic bad guys getting theirs, hero power shit that you can be seduced by as an audience member. Those guys rating that money drop uh of um the russians and uh-huh. 
I don't know. There's some other guys in there. Pretty great watching mm-hmm. those guys put on their gas masks and go oh, yeah. in there and light, no, light those guys up. Very yeah. enjoyable. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of the same way that I felt about Ray totally dominating that play in the train station, even though it ended in a totally ridiculous gun battle. I felt like watching him show up at that house, interview that woman, get the drop on the killer, turn him against the chief of police. Like, just watching him put all those pieces together and completely dominate that situation, I thought was really strong. And it made me feel a little more okay about them adding the inevitable cheesy flip of him going to see his son. Because, like, he, Ray came, Ray would have come out on top 100% if he had not gone. Yeah, Ray was home free, right? Like, Ray yeah. did everything. He solved the goddamn case. Mm-hmm. He beat out all of the assholes of the Vinci PD. Like he did everything in a way that was like just really thrilling to watch and like to watch him actually own all of these things. Yeah. I uh, think this, yeah. I think you saying that makes me kind of just reflect generally about, about this season and as compared in, in comparison to the first season. And I think a thing that I appreciate about this season that is just not as much what the previous season is about is the, the kind of cause and effect of that that crime writing really deals in you know like crime writing really or a certain kind of like hard-boiled crime writing is really about like cause and effect salt figure out a thing do a thing as a result but then this thing that was planted earlier is going to like have its effect and then that will be your downfall and that and that stuff just gets more and more and more and more and more intricate and more intricate and more intricate and i think that maybe season two just didn't have I think it didn't have these like strong hand of direction that was able to carry that through. But when the show was doing a good job with that, like cause and effect cascade stuff, such as like the scene you outlined or that sort of sequence you outlined, Jake, I think that's when it's at its strongest. Uh, Whereas season one is so much more about this like cosmic fate kind of thing. You know I mean? They eventually get into like serious Mm -hmm. detective work at the end, but it's not, I don't think that's as much what, that whole season is about yeah, it's, it's about more metaphysical kind of the, concepts. The, the train station scene with Ray can't go down the way that it did without the like insane exactly moving like that was like the tip of the pyramid of all of the moving parts of the right. mystery in a way that I thought was really good. But like to what Sean said at the very beginning of of this podcast, I think Ray going to see his son like once Ray sees the blinking light on the bottom of his car, mm-hmm. it felt like it was sort of the opposite, like the flip side of that problem, or that where. Ray seeing those those blinking lights, it felt like from a from a sort of writing and story standpoint, they were like, well, this is the end that we need Ray to have, mm-hmm. which is him dying, Tragic. him tragically dying alone, unable mm-hmm. to deliver that voice message to his son, means that X Y Z has to happen. So Ray has sure. to, from this point on, act in a way they, that will yeah, lead so him to that like, ending. They front loaded the effect and then figured yeah. out the cause. Yeah, yeah and that and, and that really bummed me out. And like it felt yeah. like there was no, you couldn't have this have happened. Yeah, yeah, because like I, I felt like that the train station stuff was was actually earned. Like I, like yeah. I don't know about the the specifics of the violence at the end of it. Like hey, you're to your point. Yeah, it's it's fine. Like it, but like like <laughs> I jump when I'm not on the on I, I mean, I liked a lot a, a lot of like the way that the guy, the way that people get knifed and all sorts of stuff. It was it was good, but like on sort of the downward slope, I wished that more actual pieces of the story had. Or more pieces of Ray's character that we had seen and couldn't just infer or assume from the archetype, the archetypal response of, mm-hmm. oh well, he's it's a sacrifice, therefore he does this, or like he's he knows he's going to die, therefore he does this. Like the specifics 
weren't really there as much as just sort of like it was going through the motions of this is the story of, right. of this guy sure. doing that. Mm-hmm. Whereas like we saw a very similar scene to Ray's going out um, with a different end because it was there for a different purpose with, with when, when Paul dies, it's, you know, I mean, it's different in that he is, you know, he's going there for a specific purpose and he's trying to get right. out alive, but mm-hmm. just so many more factors are, are in play, even though we're still just seeing a shootout between a bunch of columns and a guy barely making yeah, it I mean, out. I mean, that's true. Like the, the uh, actual moment of Paul getting shot was kind of like summoned out of thin air. The guy just being at that exit, but who knows, whatever that aside, like, yeah, you're right. That that the sort of premise of that whole scene was built much more on the scaffolding. Yeah. It just, it's so much, it's so much more motivated. This, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the way Frank goes out again is, is more motivated. And I just, the, you know, the Paul one involves both like the details of the conspiracy and the way all these players like you it's both the result of what's come before but also introducing new information that will later be built upon and also tied into the specific character motivations of paul paul's trying to cover whereas, up all this yeah, stuff ra- yeah. yeah you guys are right in that raise raise and it does not yeah not i like nearly I, as much like i liked i liked the, the result and i liked the impetus but i didn't think that the journey was was i thought mm-hmm. that was the weakest yeah, the weakest part of the end of the of yep. true detective i think yeah um it's fair I feel like we're. Uh, you want to do some questions from the readers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, unless you guys it? have other big, big pieces you wanted to bring no. up. I mean, I think in general it might be worth just sort of talking about not at great length, but just meant talking about the season broadly. Like having had this discussion that we just had, I feel like this season. And I don't know if you guys agree. For me, was a a pretty worthwhile experiment, and one that you know did not just really needed a shorter hand i think like really needed a a stronger guiding vision i mean that's something that we i think if it's not a surprising opinion because we've talked about it on this show before um but it makes me really hope that in a third season of this show there's not too much like pride wrapped up in in how this is made to prevent that from happening because i because one of the things that occurred to me as I was watching some of the final scenes of of this is that even this season, I mean, it, it's not as unusual as the first season, but even this season is pretty a pretty unusual thing to see on television. Yeah, like, it, ha- it has a lot of things that you see in crime fiction, like as a medium that's, you know, from mm-hmm. the 20, 20th century especially to now, but is not ever attempted to be adapted to TV or even often to film in the way that this is. But I just don't think it was – it wasn't done well. But just watching it to see these these story types – just this type of story told on television was interesting in and of itself. But it mm-hmm. was just – but because of the promise and the potential of seeing that genre in this medium not realized, it was like it was – it made it an exercise in frustration for me really right. often. So like I felt that I was like – I, I ended up kind of feeling bad for myself because I realized that I like I love sort of like hard boiled labyrinthine mm-hmm. crime fiction so much that to see it on TV in a way that was ambitious but not well realized I felt like I was almost begging for scraps both amb- which, is, which yeah. was both ambitious and in its own way kind of uncompromising um, mm-hmm. in the sense that it is there are some things about you know that we're talking about they're sort of uncommon on television or, or unusual but. A thing that is essentially never seen on television would be the ex would be your 
three out of four of your main characters all dying in one case, not even in the season finale. Um, that's crazy. I mean, I know that's like, that doesn't speak anything to quality or anything, but it's just, you could only, only, only do that in an anthology show like this. Right. And even then only within certain kinds of genres would people even be willing to tolerate it at all. Um, and that is, it's again, like, I'm not saying I want that to happen in all the shows that would be weird, Mm -hmm. but like, but it is kind of impressive as a, as, um, just like an ambition, I suppose. Uh, and I, I, I appreciate that someone made a series of a season of television that was that comfortable making that kind of choice. Um, and it's, you know, it would be, it would be nice to see these, these, uh, this sort of like no holds barred, um, uh, ambitions done in a, in a way that was, that was more confident, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all that. I think this, I think this season, which is, Really funny, given the everything you guys just said about this type of show on television and how rare it is, and really HBO is the only sort of place where you can yeah. get the freedom to do these sorts of things uh, and not get an, not get an executive note that's like, oh, this moment needs to be bigger Maybe or Netflix whatever. Netflix right now, yeah, until Netflix, they like, yeah, <laughs> become the same as everyone Netflix else. is probably is. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. Um, the thing that's frustrating is that for all of for all of that. What the show needed the most was just some restraint. It needed some restraint yep. in the writing. It needed to, you know, I know you preached like the virtue of restraint in almost every, mm-hmm. you know, critical study of whether it's a game or a show or a movie when we talk. Mm-hmm. And I feel like ultimately that's what the show needed the most is Nick, pa- Nick Pizzolatto to at least say no to himself. Right. Or and, someone like, else edit himself no to him. or delete yeah. that last line and because I delete think in, that character shore up, you know, like, well, and I think in know. season one, a lot of that happened on the shoot. Like I think in season one, a lot of that wasn't on the page. A lot of that restraint was introduced in the direction mm-hmm. and even by, um, by the characters themselves. Like there's a form of restraint in, uh, <clears throat> I think that, that served to dial back the effect of rust Cole's like ponderousness, which was the humor that was apparently introduced by Woody Harrelson, right? Which I think is really people, interesting. People well, talk because about- Woody Harrelson became a was aware of the words on the page as right. an actor, and then yeah. his character was aware of the way they were sounding out of his yeah. partner's mouth, and it made that re- really. People nice. on the forums also hypothesized that in season one, there's a lot of uh, implication that McConaughey could potentially be the killer they were looking for all along. And people on, on the forums talked a lot about how it seems like both McConaughey and Harrelson and the director read those words in season one, but they almost always read them in a way that down that, that makes it you as an audience member, never actually believe that that's a potential red herring. It just seems like they're everyone in the, all the actors in, in the first season are just bothered that that is even a thing that keeps uh, showing up mm-hmm. and impacting their ability to solve the case. And that's, but like that feels like on the page you could have you could like were there a new adaptation of True Detective season one you could just make that a huge conceit of the middle of that season but it was clearly adapted I mean, it feel it feels like it was yeah. like an adaptation of the script that chose to to not include that angle and it makes you just yeah it wouldn't surprise me if the relationship between Fukunaga and Pizzolatto became strained because Fukunaga had a red pen that went through some of the script in season one. Yeah. <laughs> would not surprise me in the least, yep. whether it was in the editing room or actually on the page. Sure. Um, all right. So um, we're going to close out, I guess, with a few emails here and then that's, that's it for this season. So um, we had 
I guess I'll just read one email from someone who liked the season, one email from someone who didn't so much like it, and uh, maybe that's it. So Floyd Fry writes, I really liked some of the performances and writing in the finale, but I really thought things felt flat. Um, Frank deserves something better than being taken out by drug dealers. Ray's death, on the other hand, I liked. I love the payoff of his demise being accurate to its dad's warning from the purgatory barroom dream sequence. Paraphrasing, but his dad said something like, you're in the woods and you look so small and you come out and they shoot you to bits. That's that's on the nose, I guess. <laughs> Ray and Annie, I'm sure, will be hotly de- debated among critics and fans alike, but I have to say I bought it and I liked it. Um, everything from, from their motel room confession conversation to the almost I love you, I thought these were some of the characters' better moments in the season. Even if it were fleeting, I thought it, I liked the idea that they found love. The crow mask, though, is this all just... It ended up just being a random mask Lenny picked up after he tortured and killed Casper. Why in the hell would he have that with him in the car when he drove to dump Casper's body? Why would he have had it and been wearing it when he shot Ray? I actually enjoy some red herrings because they keep you guessing, but this was too shoehorned into the story for me. Nick Pizzolatto commented at one point that the season was somewhat inspired by Oedipus Rex. Was Laura sleeping with Casper, her father, in a call girl capacity, and this is where the inspiration shows up? In closing, hopefully there's a next season and hopefully it's better. I think Nick bit off more than he could chew, or at least more than he could chew in eight and a half hours. I've enjoyed the podcast all season. Take care, Floyd. Um, well said, Floyd. And then Brandon Smith writes, Hey guys, just wanted to say I love the podcast and will listen to anything you guys put out there. I have positive... Let's hold your horses. I have positive feelings on Omega Station, the season two finale, but also positive feelings on the season as a whole in retrospect. Uh, the genius of True Detective's second season is that it's overwritten, especially on the part of Vince Vaughn's character, Frank. Not as compelling, nothing really beats the Southern Gothic style of season one, and at times a little too arrogant for its own good. To me, it felt like season two looked at season one and said, I got this before filming even began. And yet, the characters are more fully developed. I tended to care more about what happened to our true detectives this season than last, especially towards the end. The cinematography is some kind of miracle. And the setting, a California that's all there, but mysteriously off, I think how one of your listeners put it, perfectly highlights season two's black sheep attitude towards the series as a whole. I love season two as it progressed, and the, and the finale was the best episode yet. Can't wait to hear your specific thoughts on season one. Thanks, Brandon. So there you go. Two. Uh, there's there's a bit bit more of a positive take on it, I guess. Um, and then finally, uh, most important email from Ryan West. Hi guys, can we stop the show stop the show dead for a second to talk about Ray Valcoro's cowboy hat and to a lesser extent his denim jacket? Did you like it? I did not. I never thought there was any look that Colin Farrell could not pull off, but it turns out Raylan Givens is one thing he can't do. Sincerely yours, the Hat Inspector. I was so into that cheesy hat. I was, I, hat. I, I was into, I was into that. Or it's like, I'm infiltrating this crazy stakeout yeah. handoff scene. Better wear the best outfit possible. A ridiculous cowboy hat <laughs> and sunglasses. Die, I'm going to die looking good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a gif uh, of, wow, what's the kid's name? The set photographer? Just delivering, some, delivering some of his lines to, to Ray and then Ray just going, making this like, all right, face with that stupid hat and sunglasses, and it's like that is exactly the moment that I want right then. Like, I don't know. I feel like if if Ray is gonna have like his most triumphant hour, where the stupid Vinci Chief's like, you know, we you're a uh, lot more competent than anyone ever gave you credit for. That better happen when he's wearing that stupid hat. I know. Like, give yeah. me- <laughs> oh god. Like Woody Harrelson wouldn't have let Colin Farrell get away with wearing that hat without some tiny little look or like just a look at it or a comment, just a little something. Yeah. But that's. I just, I still liked it. I was I was I was good with the hat too. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening to True Detective Weekly. Um, we promised early on we would do a season one uh, rewatch after this. I think we might take a little bit of a break before we do that. 
Um, but stay subscribed to the feed, and uh, we will be back with you guys soon enough. Yeah, and if you like this podcast, um, please like tell your friends. It's probably fine to rewatch season two, like start season two now and listen to this podcast along with it. And we do a whole bunch of other podcasts at idlethumbs.net. And you can now subscribe to like the bulk of every single thing we do at soundcloud.com slash idlethumbs. And that's every podcast. We have podcasts that come out Monday through Friday that in the realm of video games and uh, video game development, uh, sometimes stuff like this, the TV rewatch stuff. Uh, we have a new esports podcast. If for some reason you're really into television and professional East, gaming professional gaming uh <laughs> and we've got we've got morning shows coming up yes yeah so thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you soon thanks everyone